Are you ready to get dark? Welcome, my fellow denizens of the night, to John Campy After Dark, of course, the show where obviously we talk about drinking alcohol and the use of recreational drugs and casual sex with one or many partners and farting in bed and then pulling the bed sheet up over your partner's head and trapping them underneath there with the toxic fumes. Oh, the darkness, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, guys, hey, welcome to the YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and really, uh, all this is is a companion video. John Campia After Dark is really just a companion video. It just happens to be a companion video that we do live uh, here in the evening, and I mentioned earlier today that we might do one of these tonight, and lo and behold, here we are. And, and so here's what companion videos are for those of you who don't know. So every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too long to get them answered, so we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos or live after dark. It's so good to have you guys here. I hope you guys had a great day. I loved our show this morning, talking about a number of like really big things, but of course the, the Venom results at the box office, insanity. Absolutely insanity. $90 million it made at the box office. Um, beating two MCU films, a Fast and the Furious film, being the biggest opening weekend, the second biggest opening weekend of all time in October. The only Joker in 2000, I believe it was 19, 2019, made more money in an October opening weekend than Venom 2 did during a pandemic recovery. It's absolutely nuts. Absolutely crazy. So me and Rob had a good time on the show today. Of course, Rob will be back on the John Campus show in the morning. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, good to have all you guys here. Hello to Steve and Austin and Peter and uh, Ronaldo and John and Seraphim and GA and Michael and everybody else in the live chat. Good to have you guys here. So let's get right into it right now. We're going to start things off getting caught up with Jack Lumbers, who writes, Requiem. Only Us, Waving Through the Window, and especially You'll Be Found are glorious songs from Dear Evan Hansen. Ben Platt has an amazing singing voice. I just wish the movie had a better plot. And I mean, listen, one of the things I don't think anything, I don't think anybody's taking away from Dear Evan Hansen is the music. The music and the songs themselves, I don't think anybody is knocking those because I, I think you're right. They did a, that, those are great. They are absolutely great. None of that is, was the problem with the movie at all. All right. Uh, by the way, Donaldo Martinez sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Donaldo. Appreciate that, man. Okay, next up, uh, Johnny Wall writes one of two. Have you seen Hoodwinked? I absolutely have. 2006, which I believe was the same year that Casino Royale came out. By the way, uh, it stars Anne Hathaway. Well, stars. It's an animated film. They did the voices in there. Uh, stars Anne Hathaway, Glenn Close, and retells the story of Little Red Riding Hood as a police investigation using backstories to show multiple characters' points of view. It's the most underrated animated film of all time, in my opinion. And while the... And while the... And while the... And there's no part three. Okay, so uh, Johnny just forgot to send in part three. Um... Hoodwinked, listen, it is an interesting little movie for those who may not have seen it, but it, it's kind of like the police have like all the main characters of Little Red Riding Hood story, right? And they're talking, but the story is told from each of their individual points of view and all the zany differences that would be from the, between the different points of view. Not going to lie to you, uh, Johnny, 
not my favorite. I thought it was an interesting approach. I thought it was a cool little little animated film. Not really memorable to me, to be honest with you. But I'm like, I love the fact that you loved it that much, man. Thanks for sharing your passion for it. Appreciate that. Uh, by the way, Banana Apple sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Banana Apple. Appreciate that. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, by the way, Miguel saying, hello, folks from Miami. Good to see you here, uh, Miguel, and everybody else as well. Okay. Uh, where are we at here? Um, wait a second. Uh, Shiv is saying, John, you missed... The half on first page. What are we talking about? There's one of two, two of two. I don't think I missed anything. I don't think I missed anything there. Anyway, uh, let's keep going, shall we? Scott Brown writes, um, Venom 2 was garbage, says Scott Brown. The script seemed like it was written by a five-year-old. I hate this overacting cheese shit. I don't want it in my comic book movies. The movie was so stupid. 90 minutes was too long. I just wanted everyone in the movie to shut up. Well, hey, listen, obviously... I disagree uh, with you, Scott. I thought the movie was a hell of a, very, very entertaining. I mean, not good as Shang-Chi or the Suicide Squad. I thought the movie was very entertaining. Um, I thought the dynamic between Venom and Eddie was great. I thought uh, Andy Serkis did a great job directing it. Now, did I love every aspect of it? No. There were a few scenes I didn't like. There were a couple things I think they could have done differently. But overall, I thought a very entertaining movie. And that's what the vast majority of the people seem to think. It's got an 85% audience rating. But listen, I've said from the beginning, it is not for everybody. It's not for everybody, Scott. And if, if it didn't work for you, no problem. There's probably lots of movies that you like that I don't and all that kind of stuff. And it's all good. We all have different experiences with movies. And for you, Venom 2 didn't do it. And, and like I said, I expected that. I Watching the film, I knew this would not be for everybody. But I'd be lying to you, man, if I didn't tell you it worked for me. But thanks for sharing your point of view on it, Scott. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, Anonymous writes, where are we at? Yes, I think the issue with the PG-13 Venom is that you can do it, obviously, and it's successful, but should you? I still think, uh, I still think though, you're only giving fans 70% of, of Venom movie without the violence, especially featuring Carnage. They just end up being neutered. That's completely false. It's completely false. Because as John Schnepp used to point out, their comics were always PG. The, the action and violence with Venom and Carnage in the comic books were all really PG-13 anyway, right? And I still contend that everything that Carnage did in the movie, I won't go into specifics, obviously, but the only difference between the PG-13 and the R, and quite frankly, I'm surprised they got away with the PG-13, was that when... Uh, Carnage was murdering a lot of people when he would like, I just, here's, here's something that's in one of the trailers. So it's, it's not a spoiler of anything, but when Carnage slams, kills a guy by blunt force trauma, slamming him against concrete, the only difference between PG 13 and the R was that there wasn't a blood stain there after the guy fell down from the concrete wall. That's the only difference. It's the exact same action. It's the exact same thing just that there wasn't a blood stain there when he fell off the wall. That's it. And I, so I, I respect your opinion on that. I respect your opinion on that, but I completely disagree that this movie felt neutered. That's like, show me in the comics where it's like straight up rated R. And, and so I, that's, that's why I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that's why I disagree with you. I disagree. 
And that's why I disagree. I was actually quite pleasantly surprised by exactly how violent this thing was. There is a lot of murder. There's a big body count in this in this movie. A lot of people get slaughtered. Um, so, yeah, it's just that there wasn't a blood stain. I mean, that's that's pretty much about it. As far as I'm concerned, that is. Uh, by the way, Gary Phillips sends in a super chat badge to live chat. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate that very much, man. All right. But thanks for sharing your point of view on that, Anonymous. All right, next up. Terry uh, Cavendish writes, uh, John Venom. Oh my God. I haven't had that. I haven't had that much pure fun in a movie in a long time. I think I like it more than Shang-Chi. Well, okay. That's, that might be going a little bit far, but okay. Uh, the humor was on point. The action was tops and I could watch two hours of Eddie and Venom just talking so good. Well done, Mr. Circus. By the way, I know it. I know it it's pronounced like circus, but it's actually S E R. It's not C I R just, you know, anyway. Um, but I think, listen, I think this is hilarious that I got like two messages, like one from who was it? That was, uh, it was Scott. And then just like a couple of messages later, Terry. So I hate venom. I hate venom. I love venom. I love venom. It's, I think this is a good representation. I think this is a good representation of, um, of the differences of opinion that people are going to have about venom. Again, I've always thought, it's from the first Venom movie, but also in the second one, that it all depends on if you buy into the personality of Venom. If you buy into the personality of Venom, then you're going to like Venom 1 and Venom 2. If you don't buy into the personality of Venom and the personality of Venom in these movies doesn't work for you, then you're not going to like these movies. And I think this it's very much uh, on point and very telling that we got one person saying, I hate Venom. The very next person, I like it more than Shang-Chi. Anyway, it's a great example. That's the wonderful thing about the subjectivity of films. We all have vastly different opinions. All right. Thanks a lot for putting that in, man. All right. Next up, world's greatest detective writes, John, still in lockdown in Australia. Sucks, dude. But based on your recommendation, I bought a copy of Free Guy. Nice. Also based on your recommendation, having some mayo. With my breakfast. Love your show. Yeah, I love mayo with just about every everything except for breakfast food. I don't really have mayo with my breakfast food. That aside, free guy, man. Still number six at the box office in its eighth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eighth week of release. Still number six at the box office. And number six at the box office after it's already come out on home video. Amazing run for that movie, man. An absolute amazing run for that movie. Okay, next up. Armando Martinez writes, Over under 20%, Toby Spider-Man tells Tom Spider-Man, With great power comes great responsibility in Spider-Man No Way Home. Well, here's the problem, Armando. You're assuming that Toby Maguire is in Spider-Man No Way Home, and we just don't know that that's true or not. I mean, I believe he will be, but we don't know that he's going to be. We simply just don't know that he's going to be. Sure, there are a lot of rumors and whispers and fan speculations and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think he will be. I think both him and Andrew will be in the movie. But you're asking over under 20% on something that we don't even know that the starting circumstance is there. We don't even know if Toby's going to be in the movie. But, but I'll say this. If Toby, and that's a big if, if Toby is in the movie, then... I will go under 20% that he says with great power comes great responsibility. Not zero. I would probably say over five, but I don't think it's super likely. Uh, so if he's there, I'll say uh, I'll say under 20%. Possible, but I would go uh, under a bit. Okay, Armando also writes, 
Better performance, Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight or Jeremy Renner in Hurt Locker? Ooh, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, God, Mark Ruffalo is so good in Spotlight. I mean, everybody's great in Spotlight. Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, uh, good Canadian girl, Rachel McCat. I mean, they're all great in that movie. That movie's so damn good. I believe it won Best Picture of the Academy Awards. Seriously, a lot of you guys have not watched. Uh, a lot of you guys have not watched Spotlight, and you totally should. You totally should. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, but Renner, I mean, Hurt Locker is really the movie that put Renner on a lot of people's radars. I'm going to go Renner, but Ruffalo is so good in spot. They're both amazing, but if I had to pick one, I'll slightly lean towards uh, Hurt Locker. I'll slightly lean towards Hurt Locker. Uh, how about towards Jeremy Renner, I should say, Hurt Locker. But, man, ask me another time, I might say Ruffalo because they were both fantastic. All right. Armando also writes, favorite scene in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2. That train scene is so effing good, but Doc Ock sacrificing himself at the end is perfect. Uh, one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, Spider-Man 2. I've got to go with the train stopping thing. That scene is iconic in comic book movies. That scene of Spider-Man with the webs trying to hold back the train going, that is an iconic, iconic, all-time great superhero movie scene. So I will go with that one. That's the one I'll lean towards. All right. Uh, next up, Scott Brown writes, uh, one thing that drove me nuts, oh, Scott's got more to say about Venom, damn it. I've got a lot of things to say about Venom, and I'm going to have my say my piece. Okay, so one thing that drove me nuts about Venom 2 was in every second of screen time, there was constant talking and bickering. Uh, I couldn't wait for, the, for them to stop talking. You can move a scene along without uh, talking constant nonsense and exposition Love the show. Well, I appreciate that, Scott, and I appreciate your sharing your point of view on that. I, I Personally, I disagree. Um, I thought one of the real strengths of the movie and the charm of it was that dynamic between Eddie and Venom. And, and I thought it was really telling, too, that they were, like, at each other's throats half the time. But then, like, when, when Eddie finds out that Anne is getting married to somebody else, like, even though they've been completely at each other's throats and completely, uh, like, just bickering and arguing, when one was really hurt, what did Venom do? Venom tried to console him. Venom tried to, uh, you know, do the big breakfast making scene. And granted, I didn't even like the breakfast making scene, to be honest. But I think it created a juxtaposition that really created a moment of empathy, not just for the characters, but for the audience with them. So, again, I disagree. I disagree. I thought it was really, really good stuff, but it didn't work for you. And again, I respect that. All right. Thanks for sharing your point of view on that, Scott. All right. Tom Weyenberg writes. I saw Dune again, uh, this time in IMAX. What an experience. I still feel uh, still feel it has pacing issues and leans heavily on world building, but I had a grand time, definitely worth the bigger screen. Yeah, and I don't even know when I'm going to have a chance to see Dune. I don't know when I'm going to have a chance to see Dune. As of right now, I still have not received an invitation to a press screening. Now, I don't really blame anybody for that because I went like a good year and a half without accepting any press screenings, uh, accepting invitations to press screenings. I don't do a lot of press screenings anymore. And so eventually some of the publicists just stopped sending me the invitations. So I don't know if I'm going to get to go to a Dune early screening or not. I could always write to them and ask for an invitation. I haven't done that. 
So I can't be mad at anybody not sending me an invitation, especially if I haven't asked for it. Um, but, uh, but hey, listen, it's my number one most anticipated movie of the year. And I will see if I need to see if my first time seeing it has to be, has to be. If my first time seeing it is going to be opening night in the theater with an audience, so be it. I'm, I'm totally, totally good with that. I'm totally good with that. So we'll see. Um, by the way, Fast Too Furious 4 uh, just wrote in in the live chat there. says, ask me if I've seen the Sopranos movie. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled with it. I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't thrilled with it. Um, I, 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 I didn't think it was all that great. I was hoping for better, to be honest with you. Uh, and you know, one of the big things I was really excited about seeing was seeing um, James Gandolfini's son playing his role. But he doesn't even show up in the movie till like halfway through it. Like there's a younger, younger version of Tony Soprano up till that point. And uh, the little dip and doodle they do with um, Ray Liotta in it. And uh, yeah, anyway, I don't hate the movie. And I, I wouldn't even say I dislike the movie, but I, I wasn't all that. I was a little let down by it, right? I just wasn't all that happy with it. I wouldn't say I dislike it, but there wasn't much there for me to like, uh, overall at the same time. So there's that. Anyway, let's get back to it here. Willow writes, when you first started doing film punditry, did you already know people in the industry? If not, how did you come to know various contacts and sources? Yeah, no, when I started doing the movie blog, which was, you know, my first foyer into this whole world, uh, I didn't know anybody. I had no contacts. I, I didn't know anybody at the studios. Nobody at the studios knew me or anything like that. And I, I didn't know anybody. By the way, Leo Liang sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Leo. Appreciate that, dude. Um, my first invitation, I think I told this story recently, but my first invitation to, to cover a movie and to interview a celebrity uh, was my, the movie blog had started to get big right? Like when I started the movie blog, I was getting like a hundred viewers in a month. I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. And it was amazing getting a hundred people coming to your website, people you don't even know. I mean, that's cool. But once I started hitting like a hundred thousand and more visits to the website every month, uh, then some of the studios started to notice, you know, because all the studios have people who monitor what is being said about them and their movies, right? So eventually they kind of came across mine and saw that mine was growing. And I got invited to, uh, help me on the live chat, guys, the name of the movie, because I'm forgetting the name. Michael Jones knows who I'm talking about, by the way, in the live chat. I got invited to interview Oliver Stone. You know, Academy Award. Listen, I, and I remember when I first got that email, I thought it was a prank. I thought somebody was like, like trolling me. But sure enough, uh, I got invited to go and interview Oliver Stone. It was for his 9-11 movie that had Nick Cage. I can't remember what it was called. I can't remember if it was called The Two Towers or if it was called um, uh, The Twin Towers. I mean, Two Towers is a Lord of the Rings movie. I can't remember if it was called a World Trade. Thank you. Uh, Reptar John in the live chat said, said World Trade Center. Yes, that was the name of the movie. Uh, uh, Tubular Tommy and Daryl Bestwiley also put that in. It was World Trade Center. And I got to go and interview Stone, and it was amazing. Like, I, I, at the time, I mean, I avoid now going to do celebrity interviews, but at the time that I had never done them before, and I was, like, invited to come and sit down with Oliver Stone, 
That was crazy. By the way, Daryl Beswadley and Ifron both send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. Um, so it was one of the coolest experiences for me at that time. But what then what eventually started happening as the site continued to grow, more of the publicity departments in the different studios recognized that, oh, this, this website, the movie blog, is getting kind of big. And they started, um, then more started reaching out, invited me to do things like that. And I remember the first time I really got reached out to by Paramount. Oh, no, no, no. I remember what happened with Paramount. With Paramount, it was they had my website shut down because I posted a couple of images, behind the scenes images from the upcoming transform from the first Transformers movie that hadn't come out yet. And I was like, time out. I wrote to you guys. I asked if it was cool that I post these. These weren't on set. This was behind the scenes pictures. This is the, I, I, and you got my website shut down, right? And anyway, the internet kind of made a big deal out of it. And so the vice president at Paramount actually contacted me, said, we made a mistake, totally apologize for that. We're going to fix it. And by the way, we're still filming Transformers in Los Angeles. How would you like us to fly you out to LA? Because I was still living in Hamilton at the time, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. How would you like to come down to LA? We'll fly you down and you can come and be on set with Michael Bay and, and come see the first Transformers movie being made. I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, you made a mistake and you're making up for it. Cool. So uh, I did that. And then at some point, um, Time Magazine did an article on me about the the emerging new influence that online pundits like myself were having in the world of film. And at that point, AMC then reached out to me and asked me if I would come and run a new online thing for AMC theaters. And then, you know, that got a lot of headlines. So that by that point, then all the studio publicists were reaching out to me and sending me invitations. And then we started covering everything. And eventually I got really bored of it and I stopped going to most everything. And I started sending other people instead but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I did not know anybody when I started. Uh, I did not know anybody when I started. Um, and uh, they just eventually started finding me. So like a lot of people will write to me and say, John, tell me how I get on the press list. And I say, well, you get on the press list by making a blog or podcast or YouTube channel that gets big enough that the studio reps will identify you and recognize you and then they will send you an invitation and at least that's how it worked for me that's how it worked for me at any rate so there's that all right uh next up uh we've got uh Suthius writes from the characters to the games themselves, I enjoyed Squid Game very much. A few things I found predictable, which came to be, but it didn't detract from my enjoyment. Some compare it to Hunger Games, but for me, it's akin to the to 1971's Willy Wonka. There are definitely similarities to Willy, to Willy Wonka. No doubt about that. There are definitely similarities to Willy Wonka. I, and I get the comparisons to Hunger Games. I compare it more to Battle Royale. Battle Royale is really uh, more of a closer... Uh, kind of a, a kinship there for that one. But yeah, I like Squid Games very much. I don't think it's the greatest thing on TV like some people, but I enjoyed it enough to binge all nine episodes in three days. So yeah, I thought it was pretty damn good. All right, next up, we've got Draconic Druid writes, as a Packers fan, I agree there's no doubt Brady is the GOAT. 
Do you think Rodgers is the second best in the league, though, right? Uh, even over Drew Brees? I'm sure Mahomes can be in the conversation, but needs a few more years. He'll be the face of the future for sure. Well, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I have all the respect in the world for Aaron Rodgers. He's fantastic. He's fantastic. But Aaron Rodgers has taken his team to one Super Bowl appearance in his career. Let me say that again. Aaron Rodgers has taken his team to one Super Bowl appearance during his entire career. Patrick Mahomes has already taken his team to, to, oh, no, 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 not to two. He's taken his team to one. He's taken his team to one. He didn't get to the second one because Brady knocked him out. But he's, he's already got one, and you know Mahomes is going to have a lot more appearances in the Super Bowl. Contrast that to Tom Brady. Tom Brady literally, not exaggerating, literally has 10 times more Super Bowl appearances than Aaron Rodgers did. Oh, yeah, and you're right. You guys remind me. That's right. Uh, uh, Mahomes did go to two. That's right. That that was there. He went to two. They got to the second one, and they got knocked out. That's right. That's right. Um, but Tom Brady literally has 10 times, say it again, 10 times the number of Super Bowl appearances that Aaron Rodgers does. 10 times. Tom Brady has taken his team to the Super Bowl 10 times. 20% of all Super Bowls ever played has had Tom Brady in them. Think about that. About 20% of all Super Bowl of all Super Bowls ever played, Tom Brady was in 20% of those games. And he won 7 of them. He's got more rings than Thanos has Infinity Stones. It's crazy. I think Aaron Aaron doesn't even need more rings. He's already got one, but I think he's got to take the Packers to at least one more championship game, win or lose. He's got to take them to at least one more final to be in that, you know, to be in that conversation, you know, but I, I don't know. That's, that's just me. That's just me. All right. Uh, next up. Yeah. Thomas points out a good thing. Tom, Tom Brady alone has more Super Bowl rings than any team in the NFL has. Think about that. It's kind of crazy. All right. Next up. Uh, ben Rayner writes. Hey, John, I hope you had a great weekend in Vegas. I had a fantastic weekend in Vegas, although my back is still killing me from that 24-hour poker poker session I played. Uh, But it's getting better. It's getting better. It's loosening up. It's it's starting to feel a little bit better here. Uh, I've been watching Universal Monster. uh, I've been watching Universal Monsters movie, black and white. So far, I've seen Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, uh, Tomorrow, Wolfman, Tomorrow. Uh, Monday will be Invisible Man. Um... I've been enjoying all of them, but Wolfman has been my favorite so far. Out of the monsters, which is your favorite? I love the werewolf mythos. Just so cool. Uh, Thanks for all the content and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for that, man. Um, Listen, I, it sounds a little stereotypical. I know it, it, it is, but I've got to go. I've got to go with Boris Karloff's Frankenstein. Boris Karloff's Frankenstein. And by the way, 
uh, Bride of Frankenstein, I think are two of the great classic monster movies. I mean, there's a lot of debate over that for sure. Understanding, by the way, Peter Cunnington sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate that, man. Um, there's a lot of uh, great conversation to be had over that, but yeah, I'm going to go with the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. That's, that's the one for me at any rate. Good movie mission. You're on there, Ben. Good movie mission. All right. Next up the sock rights. One of three. So I've watched two things this weekend. The Guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal is out there right now. Fantastic performance. I'm begging you all to watch this. It's a Netflix movie, but it's one of the good ones. Second thing is uh, Scissor 7. I'm not familiar with this. Uh, Never heard of it, but it was trending since season three dropped today. Oh, it's a show. I'm almost through season three. I'm in love with this. Oh, it's an anime too. Uh, It might be my favorite thing on Netflix right now. It starts off very silly and irreverent, but gradually shifts to being more dramatic while still having that silliness in season three. Fairly mature, would not watch this with children under 13. Going to finish it off by watching Jaws. I have... I have time after Squid Game. Well, going back to watch Jaws is always good. What is this thing called again? Scissor 7. Never heard of it. Uh, by the way, uh, Epic Dub Time sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Epic Dub Time. Um, have any of you guys in the live chat, um, have any of you guys heard of this, what's it called? Shell 7 or whatever it is? I'm not. is? I'm not even familiar with what it is. I'm not even familiar with what it is. If you guys have heard of this, great. I've never even heard of it. Uh, so, yeah, but you guys are saying no, no, no. Uh, uh, McGoby is saying yes, but everybody else is saying they're not familiar with or even heard of it. All right, I'll keep my eyes open for it, Sock. Thanks for putting that on our radar. All right, next up. Nosferatu writes, speaking of the classic monster movies, Nosferatu writes, uh, since Thor's song is Immigration Song by Led Zeppelin, I think Loki should be Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. I don't know if that's an appropriate one. I mean, that would be a good one for Mephisto. Sympathy for the Devil would be good for Mephisto. I'll, I'll give you that one. I don't know. What would be a good one for Loki? I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that a little bit. All right. Good, good topic to bring up, though, Nosferatu. All right. Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, I have to be honest. Something reminded me of what Ezra Miller did last year, and it does make me sad that Warner Brothers never did anything about it. I'm not saying he should be gone, but to do nothing seems wrong. What are your thoughts after 18 months bring on the filthy? Well, listen, guys, if you guys remember, what did I say Warner Brothers was going to do? When this all happened, what did I say Warner Brothers was going to do? I said Warner Brothers is going to adopt adopt a Nobody talk about it, and everybody will just forget. Just shh. You know what you should do? Put out a press release about Michael Keaton coming back to play Batman. Then everybody will forget about Ezra Miller laying hands on a woman and, and taking her to the ground. Yeah, we'll all forget about that because people are stupid. People are dumb. They're stupid. They're like children. Just jingle the keys in front of them and say, oh, Michael Keaton's coming back as Batman, and everybody will forget all about it. What really bothered me uh, Redford Reddington is saying, I still don't know if the Ezra video... Oh, no, it was 100,000% confirmed to be real. It was 100,000% real. What bothered me about the Ezra Miller situation, besides the obvious part of it, was I'm not. I'm also not sitting here saying, and, and I said this before, I'll say it again, I'm not saying they should have shit-canned Ezra. I'm not saying they should cancel Ezra. I'm not saying they should have gotten rid of Ezra. But... What I would like to see from Warner Brothers is a little bit of damn consistency. 
Because right about the same time, do you guys remember this? What was the name of the, the actor who played Elongated Man on uh, The Flash? The guy they fired. What was his name again? I, I remember it's like both of his names sound like first names. I just can't remember what his name was. Let's see if you guys in the live chat are able to fire that in there. But right about the same time that that whole Ezra thing happened where he, you know, grabbed a girl by the throat. Like he physically, he made it uh, physically. Hartley Sawyer. Is it Sawyer Hartley or is it Hartley Sawyer? We'll go with Hartley Sawyer. So the actor, um, the actor who played Elongated Man, right? So he didn't do anything. But like old, like years old tweets came up from him with really, really tasteless jokes. He was only joking, but still, I mean, really, really tasteless jokes, but they were years old and they were jokes. Now, I'm not saying Warner Brothers shouldn't have fired him. I'm not saying they shouldn't have. I'm listen, it's their company. They want to protect their reputation and all that kind of stuff, whatever. I thought it should have been good enough for them to say, hey, listen, we've talked with Hartley. He understands that. He's He hasn't tweeted anything like that in many years. He's grown since that time. But, you know, we are, we're going to suspend him for a season or we're going to, or we're going to do whatever, whatever. Or they fired him, whatever. That's fine, right? What drove me crazy was the absolute hypocrisy by Warner Brothers, the absolute inconsistency that the upon discovering old tweets, they fire a guy, fire him from his job. They take his job away from him and they fire him. Meanwhile, you have a guy on video grabbing a girl by a throat and taking her down to the ground and they did nothing. I would have at least liked to have seen Warner Brothers put out some kind of statement to say, hey, you listen, we were very disturbed by the video. We have sat down, we've talked with Ezra, and then make Ezra put out a public statement saying, listen, I feel horrible about the events of that night. What I did in that video does not reflect who I am as a person. I'm as disturbed by that video as anybody else. I will endeavor and promise to try to do whatever, something, right? They shit can fired one guy for a tweet that was years old. And again, I'm not saying they shouldn't have. I'm just saying consistency. They can a guy and take a guy's job away and end his career for a years old series of tweets that were admittedly really terrible tweets, but still. And meanwhile, you got a guy on camera taking a woman by the throat and taking her to the ground and you just go, shh, 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 nobody talk about this. Shh. You know why? Because people are stupid and they'll forget about it. If we just got to jingle some fancy keys in front of them. And it's the inconsistency. It's the hypocrisy of it. If they had fired both of them, I would have been fine. If they had kept both of them on and just made some statement about the situation that they expect better from their stars, I'd be fine. Just the fact that they up and fired one guy and killed his career over years old tweets and another guy they totally protected. And I say all this as a fan of Ezra Miller. I am a fan of Ezra Miller. I like Ezra Miller. I really like his flash. I really do. I really liked him in the, so far in the uh, 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 Fantastic Beasts movies. I really have. I really like him in those. 
By the way, Andrew at the movie sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. So again, I would have been totally fine if they fired both of the guys because at least that would be consistent. I would have been totally fine if they just said, hey, this is unacceptable behavior. We're going to hold these guys accountable moving forward and we're going to make them make apologies. I would have been fine with that too. Let them both keep their jobs. The fact that they fired one and protected the other, massive hypocrisy. And that's really bothered me. As a fan of Warner Brothers, that really bothers me. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, Okay. Uh, so there's somebody called Nightwatch Reactions who's just an ignorant fucking moron. So I'm just going to delete something that they put in there. Okay, next up. Um, the Sock Rights. Oh, one other thing. I bought my first hot toy. Good on you. Just be careful. Don't make it a massive, massive habit because it can become really expensive. Uh, it's Vin Smoke Sanji uh, in his o- Osaba mask costume. It's a one-piece character. It was $194. That's actually pretty cheap, which is pretty good compared to other hot toys. Yeah, you, listen, you just got to be careful. That's all I'm saying, Sock, because buying one hot toy suddenly becomes buying four. That's what happened with me. I had no hot toys, no hot toys, no hot toys. And I got one before I knew it. I blinked and I had four. One of them was a gift. One of them was a gift, but still. Um, and you realize, holy crap balls. I've spent a lot of money on these figures. And $194 is cheap as hell. I mean, I just paid $350 for my Captain America one. That is the only, that's the first hot toy I've bought in like four years. I haven't bought any in four years, okay? And the Captain America Infinity War hot toy is one that I wanted to buy a couple of years ago, and it wasn't yet available, so I've been wanting to buy that one for years. So I've waited, and I've waited, and I've I waited for years. And then Ann and I were at Frank and Sons. We saw it. I said, I got to have it. It was 350 bucks. I bought it. I haven't bought any more since. Just be very, very careful. Be very careful with those hot toys, man. Be very careful of the hot toys. By the way, Reptar John is uh, writes in, did you ever get uh, Rob that Moon Knight hot toy? I guess you didn't see the show this morning. Yes, Rob now has the hot, the uh, Moon Knight. He has the Moon Knight figure that I got him. It's not a hot toy though. It's not made by Hot Toy. Hot Toy doesn't have the, I don't believe they have the rights to Moon Knight. So anyway, but I, I got him this really beautiful uh, Moon Knight. I'm, I think he'll probably show it on the show tomorrow. Just be very, very careful. The sock, just be very, very careful. All right, next up. We got Dangerous D who writes, hey, John. Wonder Woman 3 is officially greenlit, but I'm concerned that it will not be successful due to the last movie, Wonder Woman 84, wasn't good. Uh, What should Warner Brothers do to restore confidence uh, of the fans? Who do you want as the villain? I'd go for the firstborn, uh, Cersei or Giganta. It doesn't matter. I've said this many times. Who the villain is in a movie is completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. Makes no difference in the world. The only thing that matters is whatever villain do you, you use... Do you write them well? Because you can have a villain. Look, I think everybody agrees. One of the greatest comic book villains of all time is Dr. Doom. Do we agree on that? Can we can we all agree on that? That Dr. Doom is one of the greatest comic book villains of all time. Guess what? They've put Dr. Doom in four movies. Has that helped any of those movies be any good? Nope. Hasn't helped any of those movies be any good. Because it doesn't matter if you take a great comic book character and put him in a movie. you got to write the individual character well. So you can get Wonder Woman 3 and you can say, 
Natasha, the bank teller is the big villain of the film. But guess what? If you write her, if you give her a great character arc and you write her really well, it doesn't matter that nobody's ever heard of her. It'll make the movie great. So that's all that matters. As far as what do they need to do? Um, what do they need to do with, uh, to restore the confidence of anybody, by the way, uh, I'm going to disagree with you. Somebody in the live chat saying, I disagree. I think it's Christopher rapper says, I disagree. If you had a Batman movie with condiment man as the main villain, it would suck. That's not true. That's not true. If you write him as well as David Goyer and Christopher Nolan wrote Heath Ledger's Joker, guess what? It wouldn't matter that his name is Condiment Man. Wouldn't matter. If they wrote a character and wrote him as well as they wrote Heath Ledger's, then everybody would be raving about how great it is. They'd be raving about how fantastic it is. I mean, look at how much everybody likes freaking King Shark. In Suicide Squad. So you can disagree all you want, but it's true. It's damn true. It's absolutely true. That's all that matters. Now, as far as what Warner Brothers needs to do, listen, one hiccup isn't going to hurt much, to be honest with you. Look, I was also kind of let down by Wonder Woman 84. I love the first one. The second one, not so much. But guess what? Same thing happened to freaking Matrix. Everybody loved the first one, not so much the second, but they still came out and watched the third one, right? So I think there's enough positive energy around the Wonder Woman franchise that they can handle the one bump in the road with Wonder Woman 84. I think the audience will come out and support Wonder Woman 3 in big numbers. They will. It depends on the trailer and the marketing campaign. It depends on the marketing campaign. But as long as they do the marketing campaign well, um, I think the people will come out and support Wonder Woman. Now, if they make two bad Wonder Woman movies in a row, then they've got a problem. Then they've got a problem. So we'll see. Uh, by the way, Kevin Cow sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kevin Cow. Appreciate that, man. Okay, next up. Uh, Dangerous D also writes, Hey, John, HBO Max will be doing a three-part documentary on the history of DC Comics about its history and legacy. As a DC fan, I'm looking forward to this, but will they also show the controversy like Bill Finger not getting credit for Batman, Schuster's legal fight, etc.? Here's the thing. I'm not all that interested in a documentary about DC being made by DC. Just like I'm not... Because somebody asked me that a while ago about Marvel and say, like, you know, should they do a documentary about the history of Marvel? Should Disney produce a documentary about the history of Marvel? It's like, well, that's kind of self-serving. I'd be more interested in a third-party independent filmmaker doing a documentary about the history of Marvel. I'd be far more interested in a third-party independent filmmaker doing a documentary on the history of DC. Because if you're making a documentary about your own self and your own property, you're going to make that pretty squeaky clean. You're going to make it pretty squeaky clean. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be interested in seeing this thing, but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it because, oh, because you know what that is? It's an advertisement. Warner Brothers making a documentary about a Warner Brothers owned property is a commercial. It's a commercial. 
I'd be far more interested if they got if, the, if it was completely handled by somebody else. But eh, that's I said the exact same thing about the Marvel situation. But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. All right. Um, listen, Reptar John writes, uh, did you watch Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman? Was that made by DC? I can't remember who made it. Professor Mars, uh, Marston and the Wonder Woman, by the way, starring Luke Evans, is a fantastic movie. Very filthy. Bring on the filthy. Oh, that movie's got a lot of filthy, my brothers and sisters. But Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman is about the guy who created the Wonder Woman character and this three-way relationship that him, his wife, were in with this other young woman. So him and his wife had this relationship together with this other women, and it's like all the stuff that Wonder... I learned a lot about the creation of Wonder Woman watching the movie, but besides the fact that it's gloriously filthy, um, it's a really good movie, so you should absolutely check it out. But I'll be honest with you, no, it wasn't made by DC, but I can't remember if it was even a Warner Brothers movie. I can't remember if it was or not, but it was definitely not a DC movie. It definitely wasn't a DC movie, but honestly, I would highly suggest watching Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman. It's a, it's a really engaging, it's, it's, it's got a lot of emotion. It gives a lot of great information. You should absolutely check it out. Oh, uh, Seraphim Page saying, no, Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman was produced by Sony. There you go. Produced by Sony. So yeah, go check it out. It's great. Okay, next up. Uh, we've got Dangerous D writes, uh, I can tell you the license plate of all six cars outside. I can tell you, oh, this is born identity. I can tell you our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is in the cab of the gray truck outside. How do I know all this? That was a very young looking. What was that? Was that also 2006? Was the born identity 2006, 2004? I can't remember. I'm not really good with dates, but yeah, that was born identity. That's a good one. All right, next up. Suthius writes, Mr. C, not sure if this would change your mind, but I just wanted to let you and your fellow viewers out there know that Disney is no longer doing virtual queue for the rise of the resistance. This means that anyone can now just wait in line for the visit. I did hear about that. I did hear about that. And I like that. Um, And I like it because of this. If a family is going to spend thousands of dollars to fly across the country and stay in a Disney World Resort hotel that they have the choice of being able to get on that ride or not. It's up to them. Unlike the experience that, uh, that thousands of other families have had and what Ann and I had where we booked our tickets, we booked our days, we went there only to find out we're not allowed to even try to get on the ride. The only ride we went there to enjoy, and we found out you're not even allowed to try to get on it. Uh, That pissed us off. That pissed me off a lot. Because I would rather go there and see, okay, it's a three and a half hour wait in line if you want that ride. Because you know why? Then it's up to me to decide. Then it's my choice. If I want to choose to stand in that line for three and a half hours, that's on me. If I don't want to stand in that line for three and a half hours, then that's my choice. It's on me. At least I have the option and I have the choice. This bullshit of you don't even get to find out if you get to go on the ride until you arrive there that day when it's too late to get a refund on your tickets. Ooh, don't even get me going. Don't even get me started. I will I will rant and rave about the ripoff that Disneyland is. All night. 
I will bitch and moan and whine about it all night if you get me started. So I I, I don't want to get going. I don't want to get going. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, Max, but I do like that move, Suthius. I think that's a good move. So we'll see how that uh, how that goes. All right. Um, Max Weber writes, Hey, John. Corridor crew, the VFX artists, YouTubers, broke down the Andrew Garfield No Way Home League. They concluded it likely wasn't deepfake or Photoshop, or it would have been, uh, or it would be among the best fakery ever. Uh, this is their field, so I tend to believe them. Yes, but, but, here's the thing. They didn't say for sure. And I have heard other VFX artists say that it's possible that it's faked. I haven't seen any conclusive thing saying this is absolutely 100% fake. I haven't seen any of that. But of the ones I've seen and the ones I've heard, I mean, the, the, the corridor crew are very popular. They were very famous. And I like a lot of their videos very much, as a matter of fact. Uh, but I, I only recently kind of discovered them not too long ago. And I really like their stuff as somebody who used to work in the VFX industry myself. But they did not conclude definitively. Like I've seen some people running around saying, oh, these guys debunked it. No, because they didn't say definitively it wasn't. And I've heard some other VFX pros who just don't happen to have big popular YouTube channels, but I've heard other VFX pros saying, you know, we can't say that it's fake, but we can't certainly, we can't for certainty say it's not fake. And they went through all these points about how it still could be fake. So yes, I understand some very popular YouTubers came to one conclusion, but even their conclusion wasn't definitive. So it's it's still a little bit up in the air. It's still a little bit up in the air. Uh, okay, next up. Uh, but when we'll find out soon enough. We really don't have to wait that long before the whole argument and debate is ended, right? The movie's going to come out very soon, and when it does, we'll know. So, yeah, it is what it is. All right, next up. Uh, TJ Lynn writes, um... Last week, I hit the big 4-0. When I, was, uh, when I was little, 40 seemed very old, yet here I am. Any life advice, uh, anything big happened when you hit the big 4-0? Bring on the filthy. No, uh, just that you feel a lot older when, once you hit 40, man. I mean, hell, I'm, I'm not too long from now. I'm going to hit 50 soon. I mean, I mean, if I'm lucky, I will. Um, but yeah, I mean, every year you just feel older, man. <laughs> You just feel older, but whatever, just look, uh, what's the alternative? Not reaching 40. That's a bad alternative. So take it, take it and smile, man. Take it and smile. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up. We've got Mr. TJ Lin also writes, I just watched Shang-Chi because movie theater in my uh, countries just opened after one and a half years. Nice. Uh, I was, it was quite good. The reference to the day of the dead in Chinese culture is so spot on for an Asian immigrant like myself, overall seven out of 10 for me. It's pretty fun hearing from people who are now writing in uh, talking about only seeing Shang-Chi for the first time. Like I've seen it seven times already. I might see it in eighth. I'm not really sure. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm glad. Listen, it's awesome that your theaters are starting to open again. And I'm really glad you're able to go back and have a movie experience like Shang-Chi. Because uh, I really love that movie. And I'm glad you had that experience, TJ. Thanks for writing that in. All right. Next up. Uh, TJ also writes in. 
Like you, my favorite Nolan film is Insomnia. Love, love. I've never heard anybody else say that's their favorite Christopher Nolan film. Love to hear it. I love that movie passionately. Anyway, I also like Memento and The Prestige. I wish Nolan will return to make smaller films like these because it felt so intimate and personal. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I hate Tenet. It's the first Christopher Nolan movie I hate. I didn't hate Tenet, but I didn't love it. I mean, and I especially don't like having to come out of a movie saying, I got to watch that again, but with subtitles on. And yes, I understand there are parts in the movie that you're not supposed to be able to understand what's being said. I get that. But there are parts in Tenet where you are supposed to be able to understand what's being said and you can't. For whatever reason, um, Christopher Nolan has this preference of his sound mix that is just, Awful. Like, as one of the great filmmakers of our age, he's got a really bad, heavy hand when it comes to sound mix that just makes a lot of his movies really bad to listen to. Anyway, I but I still enjoy Tenet. My least favorite Christopher Nolan film is actually The Dark Knight Rises, the third of his Batman films. I still think it's good. I mean, I, I still like it. I do. But I thought the third Batman film was a massive step down from the quality of the first two. So uh, I, I still put that, I, I would still say Tenet is better than that one. Um, I didn't like the, the, the final, final, final ending of The Prestige. I didn't like the big resolution of The Prestige, but other than that, I thought the movie was effing brilliant, like absolutely brilliant. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, there, there's that. Thanks for sharing that, TJ. All right, TJ also writes, I also just watched Cry Macho. It feels bland for most people, but I like it. So intimate and personal. I love that Eastwood can kick ass at 91. He's truly a great hero. I mean, yeah, there was some of the stuff that I was like, oh, come on, you can't do that at this age. But one of the things, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I haven't talked about Cry Macho because I saw it too late. <laughs> like I saw it too late. But one of the things that, and I mentioned this before, Clint Eastwood, as he gets older, is his movies become really more life reflections. And you notice that in his movies. There's there's a lot of, in his movies, there is a subtext of making observations about life as somebody who's gotten older. And Cry Macho is a really big, and what's the one again with the name of the car? The one he did that's, I believe the name of the movie is the name of a car. I'm trying to remember the name of the movie where he's got the, the neighborhood kid, uh, Grand Torino. Thank you, Reptar John. Grand Torino. Grand Torino was a really good example of that one too, where it's just like really him, um, making observations about life as an older guy and, and, and how he's recognizing things to get older. And you totally see that in his filmmaking. Now I didn't love the movie. I didn't, but I still appreciate that Clint Eastwood is making those types of films and telling those types of stories. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Next up. Uh, we've got another one from Mr. TJ Lane who writes, my favorite movie genre is actually thriller. A good thriller is awesome with subgenre being psychological mystery and political. A good thriller is hard to make. My favorite example of psychological or talented Mr. Ripley, uh, gone girl, gone girl's fantastic. And girl with the dragon tattoo, political Syriana. I not enough people talk about Syriana. I really like Syriana and the Ides of March, which was fantastic. I remember I did the press day for Ides of March. And, uh, that was, 
That was a really good press day for me. Let me just look it up because I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of the right one. Hold on a second. Because uh, I got to meet, that was the first time I got to meet good Canadian kid Ryan Gosling. And I'm just trying to remember when that, oh my God, that was 2011. That movie was 2011. Uh, with Clooney, it was the first time I got to meet Ryan Gosling. It was the first time I got to meet George Clooney. Um, it was, and, and the movie is fantastic. People don't talk about it anymore. People don't talk about Ides of March and they totally should. It's a great movie. Uh, so I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you brought it. And you're right. A good thriller. The reason you don't see a lot of thrillers is because it might be the toughest genre to make comedy. Just make people laugh Horror just get people scared. A good thriller is really, really hard to pull off. Really hard to pull off. So yeah, that one's great. Okay. Next up. Uh, TJ also writes, my most anticipated movie in the next year or so would be Martin Scorsese's Killers Killers of the Flower Moon, being a great director that he is, who so far only has one Oscar. I hope the movie is great and that he will win his second best uh, director award. Here's a funny thing. I might have mentioned this before, but one of the main stars of Killers of the Flower Moon. Let me just bring this up here. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, now besides the fact that he's working again with, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is one of his main muses, he loves working with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, the three other main stars are these three native American, uh, girls, right? They're the other main stars. And one of those three is actually my accountant's wife is actually my accountant's wife. Um, I've got a, an accountant who looks after all the finances for my company and my business. And uh, my accountant's wife is an actress and she is one of the main stars of Killers of the Flower Moon. And once the movie's getting close to coming out, I don't do a lot of celebrity interviews, but I've already told my accountant I'm going to have her on my show. He said, yep, let's do it. Let's get her on your show. And we're going to have her on to talk about uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm very excited for the movie. I think it's going to be great. And uh, my accountant is awesome. I really do have a very, very good accountant. He totally keeps my head above water when it comes to the finances of my business. All right, uh, next up. Garden Variety Vagabond writes, uh, John and Rob, well, Rob's not here right now, obviously. Captain James Tiberius Kirk will launch on the 12th of October into space by invitation of Jeff Bezos. The world makes a little more sense today for that knowledge. On a side note, rumors of a hot female alien also being on board, still only rumors. Yeah, Rob was mentioning that earlier today that, uh, yeah, William Shatner, Captain James T. Kirk, good Canadian kid, by the way, is going to space. Captain Kirk is going to space. And uh, I hope he gets to say some kind of line once they get into orbit, if he's able to say some kind of line. I would love to hear that. It'd be really cool to see. So yes, Captain Kirk is actually going to space to boldly go as Francisco Marcus says in the live chat to boldly go. It'd be, uh, it'd be really cool. It's going to be really, really cool to see. Okay. Next up Diego writes, John, 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 Ben Affleck just confirmed his appearance in Batman for the Flash film. I think that was already pretty much confirmed. Um, I am stoked. I know you're a huge Batflick fan, uh, too, so how excited are you? I'm assuming this is probably his last appearance. At least we get to say goodbye. Yeah, and I'll, I'm not... 
First of all, I was totally, totally thrilled. I don't know if you saw the episode when they first announced that Ben Affleck was going to be in it. I was like practically dancing. My excitement has been tempered a little bit by the fact that my understanding is that it's going to be a very small part in the movie. It's going to be actually be a very small part. Now, maybe the information I have is wrong and we're going to get a little bit more Ben in this movie than I'm expecting. I hope so. But uh, until that happens, I'm pretty sure. And yes, I, I it's been pretty much confirmed. This is his last outing as Batman. And, you know, uh, but still the fact that they were able to do this. So we do get a goodbye. You know what I mean? Because just him just disappearing as Batman, I don't think sat right with anybody. And for him to at least get one last goodbye, um, I think is is great. I'm looking forward to it. I don't care how good else or whatever else great stuff is going on in the Flash movie. I'm just going to be sitting there waiting for Ben Affleck to come on screen as Batman, man. He's my favorite Batman. My all-time favorite Batman. So, yes, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Uh, next up, James Argento writes, John, are you doing a live watch along for DC fandom? Absolutely not. (laughs) Or Disney Plus Day, if there is a video presentation like you did for the Disney Investors Day last December. See, the the reason I will say, for those of you who don't know, for the Disney's Investors Day last December, when they were announcing things like all the upcoming Star Wars shows and all the upcoming Marvel shows and all the FX shows and Hulu shows and blah, blah, I live streamed uh, my, my live reaction to everything going on with that. Because it was only so long, right? I, I, I can't, I'm not going to live stream for Disney fandom for 12 hours. I'm, I'm not going to do that. As far as the Disney Plus day, it depends. If it's like an hour and a half or a two-day present or a two-hour presentation, yeah, I may do that. I may absolutely do that. It was a lot of fun doing that the last time. I had a ball doing it last time, and I think you guys really enjoyed it as well. So if they do that, yes, but not if it's like, um, not if it's like going to be a seven hour day for Disney or if DC fandom is going to be like a two day event or anything, then no. Otherwise I might consider it. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Okay. Next up, uh, where are we at here? We are at Safety C writes, Hey, John and Robin, obviously Rob's not here. Right after Shang-Chi's successful Labor Day week, uh, weekend opening, Venom's release date was moved two weeks sooner. On top of that, Venom's pre-order ticket sales became available as well. I would like to think that one that one factor that helped uh, that helped contribute to Venom's $90 million box office. Venom had almost one whole month. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think the length of time for pre-order tickets helps a movie opening weekend out? Not by much. Uh, the more time given, the better. Thanks, John and Rob. Not really. Um, th- I remember, because the, the stats show that it's only a certain percentage of the... Now, there are some... Big tentpole event movies like Endgame, right? Or a new Star Wars movie where you can get a slightly bigger percentage of the tickets are bought more than a week before the movie happens. But for the most part, the statistics show that it's only a a, a modest percentage of people that buy their movie tickets more than just a few days before they're going to go see a movie. Uh, let alone more than a week before they go see a movie. 
Are there tickets that get sold more than a week before a movie? Absolutely, but it's it's only a small number percentage compared to the overall ticket sales. So did it help? I, I, I guess by the literal sense, I'm sure it helped. Was it a significant contributor to it breaking 90 million? Not really. The numbers just don't support that. Because while you may jump online and order your tickets right away as soon as the tickets become available. And while I will do that as well, the reality is the vast, 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 vast majority of the average moviegoers who don't watch shows like the John Campia show or read websites like Coming Soon or whatever, uh, they don't do that. They'll buy their tickets online the day they're going to go see the movie. Although buy them online the day before they're going to go see the movie or hell guys, listen, you know, this is true. You've been to the movie theaters. There are still lineups at the, at the ticket booth. There are still a lot of people who just go to the movie theater and buy their ticket at the theater, right? You all seen it. It's real. I don't know why they do that. Like, why wouldn't you just buy your tickets before you go to the theater now? I don't know, but but yeah, so so yes, did it help? Sure, it, it helped. Was it a significant factor? Nah, it really wasn't a significant factor, unfortunately. All right, but I mean, that may change as, as more and more moviegoers adopt a habit and learning to buy your tickets early. Buy them online, buy them early. As more and more people adopt that, I'm sure it will become more of a factor as we move forward. All right. Uh, last questions we're going to take here today, guys, uh, comes to us from Tony Rodriguez, who writes, one of two. Uh, so I just found out that Bernthal's Punisher will be getting a new series on Disney. Okay, I, I'm going to have to break some bad news to you here. We'll be getting a new series on Disney Plus and the new show Echo uh, bringing on the whole cast of Cox's Daredevil as a part of this new show. Yeah. And where did you hear that from? Uh when slash if that happens, well, it seems Kevin Feige is changing his stance on using other people's creations, i.e. Netflix characters. Uh, this will bring the shows in with the MCU canon, and I'll stick uh, with it that we are going to see Cox's Mac Murdoch and uh, uh, Denar Kingpin and Spider Spidey 3. What have you heard or think of this? Hold on a second. I'm going to, I'm going to, let me bring up, because I remember I saw this a little bit ago. Please give me a second to find this. Uh, Burnthal. Okay. So what is the one website? Let me ask you guys in the live chat. What is the one website you should absolutely 1,110 million percent never believe? And uh, Menair Hussein gets it. Worms of Saturn gets it. The hero gets it. Yep. It's our friends over. We got this covered. Never, ever, 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 ever believe anything that comes from we got this covered. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. Is it possible that Kevin Feige 
Because we always talked about this. We always say two things. Thing number one, Kevin Feige doesn't like using other people's sloppy seconds. I was at the phase three announcement event. I was there physically in person at the El Capitan Theater when Kevin Feige came on stage and pretty much denounced everything in the Netflix MCU. Like, I said, hey, are you going to do this? And and you said, look, I have nothing to do with that. I have nothing to do with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have nothing to do with any of the Netflix stuff that has nothing to do with me. But the second thing we have always said is Kevin Feige is a human being. And Kevin Feige can change his mind as human beings can do. Human beings can change their mind. And the last I checked, Kevin Feige is a human being. So look, let me be on record right now. Just like I have no proof that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home, I believe they will be. I believe they will be even though it's very, very possible that they're not, okay? But I'm just saying I believe they will be. We'll find out soon enough if that's true or not. In the same sense, I do not believe we are going to see Charlie Cox and John Bernthal and Vincent D'Onofrio in in the MCU. But you better believe that's a possibility, I'm not going to put a hundred bucks against it. I mean, I don't think they will be just like I do think we'll see Toby and Andrew, but am I willing to put a hundred bucks on either of those propositions? No. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. So if you were to ask me, do I think, you know, Charlie Cox is going to show up as daredevil? I'll tell you, no. If you say to me, you want to put a hundred bucks on that? I'd say, nope, because I'm not that certain. I'm not certain at all. I don't believe he'll be there, but listen, I'm not going to fall out of my chair in shock and surprise if he does turn up. You know, so we'll see. Anything's possible. Not everything is likely, but everything is possible. So, I wouldn't bet $100 million against it, but anybody who tells you, I know for a fact, well, then they're probably somebody from this website that we all know you shouldn't be listening to under any circumstances at any time. Uh, But that doesn't mean there can't be some truth to it. Even if they totally made that story up, which they did, they may have accidentally been right. You could have asked, they could be accidentally right. Like even a broken clock is right twice a day. You know the old saying? Could happen. Could happen. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, guys, listen. That'll do it for all the time we have tonight. I thought we'd go about an hour. We've gone a little bit over an hour here. Thank you guys so much for being here and joining us tonight. Uh, Listen, there are still a few more. We almost got all cut up. We're only a few questions behind here. Do not worry, guys. We will pick right up. If you sent in a question, still haven't seen it answered, we will pick right up with these on tomorrow's John Campia show. So make sure you guys come on back and join us for that. Big thank you to all you guys who, with absolutely no notice, just jumped on and watched live along with us. So thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate that. And you joining me here. Uh, again, make sure you join me and Rob for the John Campus Show tomorrow morning. We've already got a few things lined up. By the way, do you see the box office projections for Bond? Huge. We'll talk about that tomorrow and a bunch of other things too. So guys, that'll do it for me for tonight. Thanks so much for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my fellow denizens of the night, 
Bye-bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.